0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we continue our series, The Crossroad, today, a study in the book of John. So let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 7, verses 32 to 39, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Come and Drink.
1: Every one of us longs to be satisfied. And some longings are common to all of us. We all want to be satisfied with our daily bread and with the basic necessities of life. All of us want that. But then every one of us has personalized areas in life where we also want satisfaction. Some of you want it in a satisfying marriage, or we may want to satisfy our thirst for travel and adventure, or for cars or motorcycles, or for a career that fills our imagination. But whatever it is, we all desire something And some of us think we can't be satisfied without it. Some of you may even desire to stay young. You know, there's a myth about the eternal fountain of youth. And the idea behind that myth is that somewhere in some mysterious place in this world, there is a fountain of water. And if you drink from it, you're never going to grow old. Some of us would love it if that were true. We have a thirst for life and we desperately do not want to die. You know, today we're studying John 7, 32-39, and I'm only going to mention the first part of the passage briefly, because the first part sets the stage for the desire for human satisfaction that follows. So let's start. I'm reading John 7, 32-36. The Pharisees heard that the crowd muttered these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, You will seek me and you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Well, the muttering of the crowd was a muttering about whether Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah or not. And the Pharisees worry that in their attempt to control Jesus, things are getting out of hand. And perhaps he needs to be arrested now, even though arresting him was very risky. And so in order to mitigate the risk, Jesus makes a startling announcement, I won't be with you much longer. Now we know he's making a reference to his death and followed by his resurrection and followed by his ascension to the right hand of the Father. That's going to happen in six months. But they don't know that and they're left in confusion. But this seems to take the pressure off, at least for the moment, his arrest is going to be delayed. Now, that allowed Jesus to remain at the feast, and as far as we know, there were no other major incidents. Of course, that last incident was not created by Jesus. The religious teachers had been looking to humiliate Jesus and had failed. Well, now the drama has died down and everything seems to have quieted, that is, until the very last day of the feast. Now, I suspect that if you had been there when Jesus was saying this, I think you would have been stunned. It would have taken you weeks, perhaps months, to come to terms with what he said. I mean, you might have thought he's crazy, or can this be, or could I even hope for this? But these words would have been like thunder to you, that is, if you had been there. Jesus is in Jerusalem during the Jewish Feast of Booths. And the Feast of Booths was an eight-day-long celebration for the entire Jewish nation, where everyone from all over Israel would travel to Jerusalem, and then for eight days they'd live in booths. They would be in tiny huts all over the city, down the streets, up the alleys, on the rooftops. Whole families lived in little tents or booths. All Israel was reenacting the wilderness wanderings, where for 40 years their fathers lived that way in the wilderness, in the desert of the Sinai Peninsula. You know, the feast was a celebration that happened every year in October in which one was to remember that God had miraculously brought Israel into the promised land and provided for all of their needs. He had satisfied them, and the feast was also a celebration of God for the harvest, that God had given them the land, the rain on the land, the fertility of the land. and So this feast was roughly equivalent to our idea of Thanksgiving, except with a lot more drama and, I would say, a lot more fun. Now, on each day of the feast, there would be a very special water ceremony. And if you had been there, you'd have taken your kids or gone with your whole family and friends just to watch. See, a group of priests would go to the south of the city to the Gihon Spring, it was a spring of water which came up from the ground and flowed into the pool of Siloam. And there at a spring, a priest would fill a golden pitcher full of water. And as he drew the water up, a choir would sing the words of Isaiah 12, verse 3 with joy will you draw water from the wells of salvation. And then the water was carried up the hill back to Jerusalem and into the temple through one of the gates, a gate called the water gate. And as the priests went through the water gate into the temple, three blasts from a trumpet would sound. A huge crowd would be following the priest and they'd be carrying something called a lulab in their right hand. And those were three branches reminding them of the harvest. And in their left hand, they would hold a piece of citrus fruit. And then as everyone would enter the outer court of the temple, and by the way, thousands would enter, and the priests would circle around the altar, and the temple choir would sing from Psalms 113 to 118. And when they got to Psalm 118, everyone would shake the tree branches in their right hand and the citrus fruit in their left hand, this sign of the harvest, and then the whole crowd would shout as loud as they could, give thanks to the Lord, and they'd shout it three times. And then at that very moment, the priest would mount the altar steps with a golden pitcher full of water and pour it out onto the altar so that the, the water from the pitcher would be flowing and dripping from the stones of the altar. And here was a powerful symbolism that no one would have missed. See, this was a symbol of the waters of Meribah. Now, if you don't know what that is, let me explain it to you. It happened during the time of Moses when Israel was in the wilderness. There in the desert, when the people were in danger of dehydration and death, God had caused water to flow out of the rock so that the people could drink. So during the festival, as the priests poured water over the rock, the people were to remember, look, water once sprang from a rock in the desert, and it was God's miracle that satisfied their thirst. Even so, today, rain falling from the sky at harvest time, well, that also is God's provision. So the festival was a reminder that that God had satisfied us well, and we're overwhelmed. So every single day on this feast, they would remember what God had done, His water, His satisfaction. That was the reason to give thanks. But that was not all that the Feast of Booths was about. You see, the feast also had an end times appeal to it. There was an anticipation of the coming of the Messiah and the coming of the kingdom that would rule the earth. Indeed, the prophet Ezekiel predicted that in the end times, a river of water would flow out of the temple. It was a river so deep that it was over a man's head. And Zechariah, speaking of that same theme, said in Zechariah 13, verse 1, On that day, there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. So, in other words the river of blessing that satisfied you with food and the basic necessities of life would flow from the temple and it would be a river washing people and taking the stain of their sins. Now, every single day of the Feast of Booths, this scene with its amazing symbolism would be repeated, but on the last day, that is the final day of the feast, that ritual would be repeated seven times. It would basically take all day. So the last day was called the great day of the feast, where the joy and the hallelujahs and the songs and the water and the dream of universal satisfaction, well, it would be repeated over and over again. In the time of Jesus, it was said, he that never has seen the joy of the water drawing has never in his life seen joy. That was considered the greatest joy, the joy of God's provision, a provision that would satisfy all of life. Well, let's go back to the text we're reading. I hope you can now see that the crowds are in the temple and they're watching the water ceremony and they're crying out their praises and then just at the right moment you might look over and some elevated portion of the temple suddenly Jesus stands up and he shouts Well, he must have had a booming voice, a voice that everyone would both have heard and recognized. And in that moment, everyone's attention is distracted from the ceremony and they're looking straight at him. And Jesus shouts out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. (laughs) Well, Staggering. It would have interrupted the proceedings and everyone would have focused on Jesus. And here's what he was saying. If you want to be satisfied, you have to drink from me. As I've said, no one there ever forgot that moment. What do you make of that?
0: Heidi wrote in to say, I discovered your program last summer, and since then, well, I've learned so much from the expository teaching of the Bible. Well, thanks, Heidi. You know, it's hearing the stories of friends like you that assures us that the Bible teaching program is making a difference. If you believe in the importance of sharing the word of God across our nation, perhaps you'd consider offering a financial gift to support Back to the Bible Canada this month, or consider becoming a monthly partner. Your regular gift ensures that the daily Bible teaching program is heard in your community and right across the country. Your gift of any amount, allows the Word of God to reach those searching for truth. To send a one-time gift or to become a monthly partner, call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us at backtothebible.ca. That's 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: I am sure that even now, after I've explained the context of Jesus' announcement, that if anyone thirsts, they need only to come to him and drink, that even yet we still don't realize how significant that moment was. So let's ask, what does he mean when he says this? I mean, how are we to be satisfied? I mean, in what way satisfied? I mean, what hunger and what thirst is he promising to satisfy? I mean, it's a powerful promise, but what is it that he's promising? Well, we do know that the water poured out at the Feast of Booths was a reminder of the water of Meribah. It was about God's miraculous provision so that Israel didn't die of thirst in the desert. And furthermore, it was also a reminder that God continued to provide to this very day, for he gave water from heaven every year, and it watered the land and allowed the people of Israel to keep on living. So whatever Jesus meant, he must have in some fashion He must have been promising some form of physical provision. He must have been promising in some way to physically care for their needs. But how is Jesus like this water? I mean, how does he physically satisfy the bodily needs that we have? Well, some of the pilgrims from Galilee who were at that feast, well, they would have remembered the feeding of the 5,000, where a group of them had been miraculously fed from the hand of Jesus. They were physically satisfied as he fed them miraculously, and that miracle was no less spectacular than the waters of Meribah. But that was only once, and yet consider all the miracles of Jesus. I mean, how many of the people there had already been miraculously healed? I mean, we might think of the blind who had been satisfied with the gift of sight, or the deaf, or the lame, or the lepers, the epileptics, the demon-possessed. All of them were physically satisfied by drinking from Jesus. See, he didn't just say this in the temple. He'd been doing that very thing. He'd been demonstrating his ability to care for every single need that all human beings have. See, I'm one who believes that when we're ill today, I mean, we don't neglect a medical doctor, but we do need to do what James tells us to do. Call for the elders. Have them anoint us with oil. Pray for healing. You know, I can testify that I've received such prayers and and I have been miraculously healed. Jesus is still the water that satisfies us physically. But I don't think that's really what Jesus had in mind here. I mean, I think Jesus might have been referring to the ultimate physical satisfaction, that is, the resurrection from the dead, that the needs of the body will be ultimately met when they are made new by him. But I also said that on the last day of the Feast of Booths, it spoke also of hope and the great cleansing from sin that would happen in the last days. Water would be poured out on God's people and their sins would be taken away. Well, contrast that or listen to 1 Corinthians 10 verses 1 to 4. There Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So Paul says Christ is the rock from which the water flows. And Ezekiel, in that sense, is like Paul. He says that water would flow from the temple and would cleanse people from their sins. So then what Jesus was saying is that he is the water flowing from the temple. He's the only water that cleanses from sin. See, one of the reasons why so many of us are in inner turmoil, well, it's because we carry our guilt with us wherever we go. But Jesus is the rock from which water flows, and that water can wash sins away. You know, Most people have never been forgiven. I was recently speaking with someone who doesn't know whether they've ever been forgiven or can be forgiven. That may be you. Against that lie of the devil stands Jesus on the last day of the feast, And he's offering you satisfaction. Come and drink of my forgiveness. But of course, that's not all Jesus shouted on that day. Remember verse 38? He says, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's a very difficult saying, and some have argued that the grammar of the verse should be so translated that it's Jesus and not the believer from which living water flows. And that's because, well, it seems to many that only Jesus can ever be the source of the world's satisfaction. Well, yeah, that's true, and yet it does seem to me that our translators, and actually most Bible translators do have it right. Whoever believes, that is, whoever trusts in Christ, places their hope and faith fully in him. From his or her heart will flow streams of water coming from Christ. So think of it this way. You not only receive from Christ, but you become a source of water flowing out to others. Think, if you will, of the Dead Sea in Israel. I mean, why is that sea dead? And the answer is simple. It takes in water, but it never gives water out. And it's important to see that Jesus is not just promising satisfaction, but he wanted his followers to offer that satisfaction to others, knowing that their satisfaction would not be depleted by their giving. But notice also that in verse 38, Jesus says, as the Scripture says, out of his heart will flow living water. So, what Scripture is he referring to? Well, there seems to be no exact text that tells you that rivers will flow out of your heart. So, again, what's Jesus talking about? And the answer seems to be that there are, in fact, a number of Scriptures that, well, they give the impression. For instance, Isaiah 58, verse 11. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. In other words, God will not just make you a well watered garden, He's going to also make you a spring of water or a source of water. Or again, Isaiah 12, verses 3 to 5, which, by the way, was the song that was sung when water was drawn during the Feast of Booths from the spring of Gihon. It says, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. See, notice again, you draw water from the wells of salvation, you draw from God's free offer of grace, forgiveness. But from that drawing of water comes a command. Make known his deeds among the people. Offer to others the salvation that you've received. Become a spreader of the good news of Jesus. Now to the end of verse 38, it says, Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then, if we were to ask what that means, Jesus explains it. Verse 39, Now, this he said about the Holy Spirit, whom those who believe were to receive. And of course, we know this refers to Pentecost. Once having received the Spirit, living waters will flow from the heart. And later on, that's exactly what Jesus said. He said that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. So I hope you see the promise. You'll be so satisfied because God will guide you. God will forgive you. You'll know the truth. And out of the overflow of your satisfaction, the whole world will come to know of this Jesus. But, and this is still the question, why is it that some Christians are dissatisfied? If we've come to believe in Christ and have received the Holy Spirit, I mean, what possibly could account for grumpy and dissatisfied and longing Christians who wander about thinking, you know, is that all there is? Notice Jesus promised that satisfaction will flow out of your heart. I know other translations say out of your belly, and I actually looked up the word in the Greek word study, and I'm convinced that the correct translation here is heart. In the Bible, the heart is the center for the emotions, for the will, for the desires. It's the heart that's the engine for all that we do and all that we feel. When we're satisfied or when we're dissatisfied, it comes from our heart. So imagine, for instance, that you're planning a major vacation. Then something happens and, I mean, you know, plans are all destroyed. Maybe you got fired from your job or you got sick or you had unexpected bills or a tragedy hit your family. Anything. I mean, you imagine it. You now see that you had planned something, but the joy of what you had planned is not going to happen. So you're angry. Well, why? It's because your heart, which is the center of your personality, had set itself on something and the thing that it loved is now gone. But now imagine that you've drunk from the Holy Spirit. You know, at that moment, the heart wants nothing more than Christ and to drink from Christ. I mean, your vacation might've been a special treat, And you might now even be disappointed. You might even be sad, but you're still satisfied. For above all things, you've been drinking Christ. So why was the Spirit sent? Well, John 16 says that the Spirit will glorify Jesus. He'll take from what belongs to Jesus and declare it to you. And that's what the Holy Spirit has come to do. He's come to take the satisfaction of Jesus and declare it to us. So let me ask you this. Are you moody or unhappy or dissatisfied or bitter or disappointed? Listen, Jesus is making you an offer. Come to him and drink and know what it is to be ultimately and finally satisfied
0: in him. John, just a quick reference uh, in the passage you read. It says, "If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink." Now, should we expect from that that we would be totally satisfied?
1: I think we do. Um, I, you know, I, I need to say that every single believer knows, um, you know, what it is to be frustrated and you know, lacking fulfillment, and all of those things that are a part of the human experience, and we have them too but there is something of having come to Jesus in which at the very least, Ben, we have a, a foretaste of that which ultimately satisfied. And, and once having tasted of Jesus, uh, we know where satisfaction lies. I mean, I, I may not uh, you know, have fully understood it, but I do have a
0: foretaste. Thanks so much, John, and remember to join us next week as we continue our series in the book of John, The Crossroad, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Connecting God's people to God's Word in our world today is critical. And Truth In Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld engages timely issues of life and faith so important for God's people to engage and discuss. Special guests each week examine critical issues that impact our lives and our journey with Jesus. So join us on Truth In Life Today by tuning in on Vision TV every Sunday at 12.30 Eastern or subscribe to the Back to the Bible Canada YouTube channel or simply visit us online at backtothebible.com ca, and send us an email at info at backtothebible.ca to let us know that you're watching. If you'd like to learn more or share a gift to support the ministry of truth and life today, or any of the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada, would you call us today at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca? That's 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.